Welcome to Talk About. On Talk About, our goal is to sit down with open-minded people for open and honest discussion. No judgment, no hidden agenda, just getting the conversation started. This week, we're joined by the insightful and industrious Justin Ashley. The owner-operator of Fly-By-Night Movies, Games, and Toys, Justin shares his amazing story of how his side hustle became a successful business, as well as how the collectible industry creates value in their products, plus past must-haves, present hot items, and future trends. Sit back and enjoy the show. I like to start every show off with a a virtual cheer, so you got a a drink handy there? I do, yes. My bottle of water. Cheers, my friend. Cheers to you. Yes, cheers. I got a little bit of uh, high quality H2O as well. Oh, are you also uh, drinking water? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Coffee too late in the day uh, at this point in time with it being 630. It's not going to leave to get this guy here. Scary Terry. I don't know if you're a fan of uh, of Rick and Morty. Morty, Yeah. yeah. That that guy will be haunting me in my dreams. Uh, So I I don't I don't need caffeine at this point. (laughs) Makes sense. Yeah. (laughs) Um, So, hey, listen, man, I just wanted to thank you very much for sitting down with me. Um, we met probably about three years ago. Now, when I stumbled across your store online, I was looking for some collectibles, uh, and, uh, and I happened upon your store. And when I walked in there, you, you blew me away with your knowledge, man. You were just kind of, you were just open and you were talkative. And I was like, damn, at that point in time, I was just starting the idea of getting a podcast together. And with you being in the collectible world, uh, I was like, I gotta, I gotta talk to this guy at some point in time. So I do really appreciate you taking some time out of your schedule to sit down with me and chat with the wonderful about the wonderful world of collectibles. Well, I appreciate that you found me interesting enough to interview me. So that, that, I appreciate that. No, no worries at all, man. So now, the the name of the store for for those people who are tuning in is Fly by Night. Uh, Fly by I'll, Night, uh, and there yeah. is a subtitle. There's, there is a subtitle, which everyone ignores, but it's there. Please t- take so, it away, my friend. So it was formerly Fly By Night Buy and Sell, but we have dropped the buy and sell. So now it is Fly By Night Movies, Games, and Toys. Amazing. And night is spelled N-I-T-E. No, like, it's funky spelling. No, I, I like it, man. I, I want to actually start there because I, I want to know, well, first of all, how did you come up with this name? Yeah, so that's a whole story. Um <laughs> So uh, naming a business is tricky, you know, because it's going to be one of those things that people refer to you as, you know, it's how they find you online. So it's got to be memorable and and something easy that people can search. We, uh, so I do have a business partner. He's this partner. He's more like an angel investor. And uh, when we were first starting the company, we argued about the name for quite a while. It's just one of those tricky things. And uh, like, I, looked at the other collectible shops and w- looked at what they were doing. And some places just do like a, a simple name. So like, for example, one of the shops that I always really liked shopping when I used to live in Kingston was a, a, a small chain called Chumley's. Now, what the hell is Chumley's and who is Chumley? I, I have no idea. I don't know what that's based on, but it was simple. And, you know, they were, they're generally pretty successful. So like part of me thought, okay, the name doesn't really matter. And then the other part of me was like, no, the name is everything. So like there was all kinds of ideas. Like I, I, I at no point was my name on the table. I never wanted to call it Justin's or anything like that. 
Because, you know, what if you sell the business, you know, and then there is no Justin that works at Justin. So that's a good point. Uh, but there, we went back and forth. We argued. And what ended up happening was uh, when you when you come with a business name, you have to register it. Right. You have to register in Ontario. So my business is registered as Fly by Night. That's a registered business. And funny enough, my business partner used to run another business that was completely different than this business. He used to run an adult store that <laughs> sold like sex toys and adult movies and things. Right. And it was called Fly by Night. Oh, get out of here. And he still had it registered. So we thought, ah, he, he pitched it to me. He goes, this is still registered, you know, it, and it's, it's catchy and it's simple. And, you know, you could put a subtitle to make it anything you want. And Fly by Night's just easy to remember. It's simple. And, and uh, all the legwork was done. So I agreed. And uh, that's what we went with. So, yeah, it, Fly by Night used to be an adult store somewhere. I don't even know where it was. I think it was in Coburg or Port Hope or something. That's outstanding. That that was way better of a story than I anticipated. So <laughs> yeah, I, I know it actually it was a thing. I know. Funny enough, yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, even the even the tag that you're going with now could probably apply to that prior business. Yes. Yeah. Toys, Movies, toys has and a games. Meaning. For yeah. sure. For sure. Yeah. And games. Oh, yeah. That has also. Yeah. Movies. Yeah. For sure. The games. I don't know. That I, one. Not so much. I'm sure there are all. adult games. Oh my God. Yeah. I'm sure like, yeah, listen, like, like this... Monopoly or something. Sure. Oh yeah. yeah. I mean, you, you probably have. Yeah. Um, I'm sure. Listen, I don't want to get off on a tangent about <laughs> adult games because I, that could be, that, that could be a whole other topic. To be it. clear, not stuff I sell, not stuff I sell. Don't not sell stuff. any adult products at all. No, no. I do that. sell movies. I, yeah. There's no adult movies or anything in here. Now, do I get no. asked? Uh, yeah, I get asked actually a lot. You'd be surprised because really? I'm right across the street from a bar. So I get the lonely middle-aged men that come in half cut and they are looking for some company. And That's I can't, tell, I don't have those movies. That's not what I'm so, interested in selling. What do you think prompts them to think that you would have those types of movies? Is it because just you have a lot movies, of movies? Just because oh. it says movies, you know, they, okay. because a lot, because back in the day when people had video stores, there was always that adults only section right behind the little curtain. Right. Yeah. But I have no interest in doing any of that shit. Truthfully, because I don't want to interact with those people. Yeah. Like, you know, no offense to anyone that would rent, you know, an adult video or anything. But I, I just think that kind of crowd is not the clientele I would like to cultivate. Yeah, that's fair. So depending on what you sell, you're going to attract a certain kind of clientele, you know. So deciding what you're going to sell does affect who you're going to get in through the door. Like if you that's sell a bunch of geeky products you're going to get interesting people like yourself that walk in that want to talk about this stuff like pop culture stuff you know yeah. if you sell high-end jewelry that's a different clientele altogether that's a good point and that actually is is something that i was interested in and how how like i mean i've been into a bunch of different collectibles places i've been in the collectible world you know as long as i can remember uh how do you go about selecting the things that you want to to carry and sell in your store so that was a, a big thing. Like at the beginning, I said we were formally um, fly by night, buy and sell. And then now we're fly by night, movies, games and toys. And I took out the buy and sell and the title altogether. Originally, um, I'm going to go deep on this. Let's start from the beginning. Back when I was still in university uh, for film, of all things, kind, kind of relevant to what I do now. Uh, I was always a huge collector. 
So I had like a action figure collection. I was collecting McFarlane and a few anime figures, some like one-off lines that they did. Uh, and But I was a huge video game collector. Not so much in high school because I didn't have the, the money for it. Uh, but in university, I had that, uh, that OSAP money and I had that disposable income. And I was buying retro games just like a fiend. Um, and then near towards the end of university, I kind of had a side hustle going. And the side hustle was flipping video games. Basically, the way I, what I used to do back when this was still like a viable business is I would scour Kijiji and Yara, drive around and hit all the yard sales. And at that time, we're talking 2012, but it was really around 2010, so like midway university. So like 11 years ago, there were still the grandmothers and the mothers doing yard sales, selling their kids video games like oh you here's this box of n64 games give me 20 bucks for the box like that you could still that was still viable you could still get that shit so what i used to do is i dr- I'd drive around and i'd buy all this stuff up and i keep the games i wanted and then i'd sell the games i didn't want and then the money i'd get from selling the games i didn't want would pay for the stuff i wanted so i basically got it for free and then I, but then it got to the point where i actually was making a little bit of profit nice. so it was almost like people were paying me to collect games and it just it kind of spiraled because I, I threw a little bit more money at it first it was like all right i'll spend i don't know 200 a month on it and then i'll spend a thousand dollars a month on it all right let's let's take my whole osap for a year and throw it at it and see what happens and it just kept getting bigger and bigger uh and then it got to the point where i had uh i came out of university i hadn't quite decided you know which career path i wanted to go to and uh but i was making it like good money at it as a side hustle and i was selling at that time through ebay and kijiji and then um i started selling uh, actually at the flea market that i started I actually started a little flea market in the oh, really? small town of port hope oh yeah, yeah. okay i'm very I, familiar I, with port hope yeah i used uh, anyone that lives in Port Up knows the Port Up Drive-In. It's the movie theater. It's been there since like 1947. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was actually the second job I ever had was working at that movie theater. I got a job there when I was 17, but I, I kept working there because I'd come home for the summer and it's a seasonal gig. So it was perfect. And I worked my way up the ladder and ended up becoming a manager and like got friends with the owner. And uh, I pitched him the idea uh, one year. This was probably 2000. I'm going to say 2010, 2011. And I said, you know, no one, we don't use the lot during the day and there's no flea market in this area. Why don't we like start a little flea market and see what happens? And then, and plus there's the lot holds 500 cars. So you got parking built in, you know, we could make a little outdoor flea market. It's kind of perfect. So I kind of like built a market for my stuff. So I had a place to sell my stuff because I didn't quite know how to like, you know, start a store or anything. And I didn't even know if I wanted to do something. This was kind of just like a, some uh, an extra side project right so i started doing the i hope this isn't too much i'm giving you like no, a this whole is history. amazing no yeah, I'm, this, I'm fascinated uh, by this if, if, it, it, it actually it actually eliminates like 15 questions that i have yeah so, this, yeah we're, I thought, i'm like you know what <laughs> your your question was <laughs> how did you decide what to sell and i thought let's just start at the beginning start at the beginning because cover this, the whole thing this man. Is a whole, yeah because this is a whole story this is a whole a journey of how i got to what i what i sell now so I, I was selling at the flea market. I did that for two years. Uh, the flea market was, I will say, mildly successful. I was, I, I didn't quite know how to build something like that yet. Um, at the time, I would have been 19 or 20. You know, I, I still, I didn't quite know how to build uh, a business from scratch. So the flea market was, I guess, my first attempt at that. And unfortunately, I, I, the second year, 
that I had it going, uh, we got shut down by the township. Oh, um, wow. The bylaw shut it down because it turns out the drive-in, this is so stupid. The drive-in, the land wasn't zoned to do a market like that. Because with bylaws and townships, like all these pieces of land has like, you know, zoning designations of what you can and can't use the land for. How stupid is that, eh? Like, it's, it's out in the, anyone that knows the drive-in, it's, it's literally like the drive-in is in between a cornfield and another field. It's like a sandwich in between two empty fields. It's that's, like, what, 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 and they're going to decide what you can and can't do. It's not, yeah, it's not near anything. So it ended up getting shut down. The township basically was like, all right, if you want to run this flea market, we need to, you have to apply to rezone the land. And they wanted $3,000 just for the application. That's not guaranteeing you're going to get it passed through. And at that time I was making, like selling out of my booth, maybe two, two fifty a day. So like, you know, I, I would take in in a weekend, probably about 500 bucks in cash. Sorry, not in cash, all on the table. 100% reported to the government. 100%. It's all yeah. that all that was yeah, 100%. Yeah, all those 100%. tax returns all accounted for. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. So I was uh, I was doing okay money um at that and it was just about it, like I didn't make enough and you know it was only like you can only really do an outdoor flea market cuz it's all weather dependent. You can only really do it like 2 months out of the year. You know, you get like July and August. That's basically it. And, you know, so, and some weekends, um, you, you, I did it Saturday, Sunday. Some weekends you get rained out. And actually the biggest thing besides rain that people don't consider is a uh, wind. Oh my wind God. It's awful. Yeah. That's, it's actually the flea market um, scarred me so much that, uh, that I don't do outdoor shows now as a rule. So anybody <laughs> that wants to pitch me doing a, a show, as soon as you go, it's outdoor. I go, nope, won't do it. Won't it's, do it. It's too much of because, a nightmare, man. I see oh, you guys nightmare. running around it, it, your booths. Uh, it's so much bullshit you got to do um, to try to make it work. You have to like compensate uh, for like the weather and like I, I, the odds that you're going to get a still wind, uh, you know, low sun, not hot, not rainy, like the like perfect weather to be outside and browsing. Because the other thing is the heat can kill you too. So you have to be under tents and you got to set up the tents, but then you have to watch the wind because the wind can blow the tents like, you know, 20 feet into the air. I actually had a dent uh, in my car from a tent that blew over. The, and it was, I had cinder blocks. This is hilarious. I had cinder blocks on it. The wind got so, this gust lifted this tent and, and dented the side of my, my, my little smart car. That was my car at the time. So there was always this dent that I knew was from a 10 by 10 tent from my flea market booth from the wind. Uh, sorry, I'm getting reminder. off topic. The no, that's okay. I'm still scarred by the, the outdoor show. <laughs> Clearly, um, I can see how emotional this is. Yeah, it's just, it's because people don't, I'm, like I, I now run events myself as well, on and off. And uh, people don't think of, when they just think outdoor. Yeah, sure, outdoor. Yeah, you can do anything outdoor. No, you can't. No, outdoor is a nightmare. Avoid outdoor. You do not want to do outdoor because you can spend thousands advertising for your event if it rains that day you can cut the number of people you were going to get but down to about a third oh. so you know if a thousand people were going to come now you're getting 300 maybe even 200 so like outdoor events are just a nightmare so the, the market got shut down and i didn't want to spend the money to get it going again and i just i just let it go i let it die basically i just went you know what i'm not attached to this you know this was cool i did it for two summers i made some good money and, you know, I let it go, uh, but it ended and I still had a shitload of video game inventory left. 
like a lot, like enough, like uh, not enough to do a store, but a, a good chunk. Um, and I still don't know really what I wanted to do. Uh, I ended up fall. I won't give you all the rigmarole, but I ended up falling into the rental business and uh, I actually own a rental property in downtown Oshawa. That's like now become a side hustle. But it, mm-hmm. uh, for a time, I considered being like a full-time landlord. Uh, there was just uh, through a happenstance, like it was one of those things where the market was low. I ended up getting a rental property for a very good price. This was way before homes cost over half a million dollars. Yeah, You could get homes, especially in Oshawa, very reasonable. So I got a rental property and uh, invested in that. And I was a landlord for a few years. And I sold, I, I took the video game stock I had. And because I was a landlord, which landlord is like, you kind of have no hours, but all hours at the same time. Yeah. Like you're always on call, but yet you, you know, no one's really, you're not punching in at the same time. Yeah. I have rental property. So I know exactly. Oh, you have rental property. Yeah. It's, it's a fucking nightmare. It's like, it's, (laughs) it's, you're not on, it's no hours, but yet it's all hours. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. You're always, you're always always on, on, but you're not always doing stuff. Yeah. That's it. So yeah. yeah. So the rental game um, was, yeah, I won't get into that, but so I I had my time free. So I was running around um, still doing the same thing that I was doing in Kingston. I was running around to at flea market or not flea markets running around to garage sales um, and Kijiji ads uh, Facebook Marketplace wasn't really a thing at the time. So it was mainly Kijiji. I don't think I ever messed with Craigslist, but it was like, yeah, like just any kind of sales I could find there. People were selling their old video games. I was running around hustling, looking for that, could never get enough. Uh, and I was at, at the time I was selling only on eBay. So I just did eBay page full time and uh, I hated it. It was extremely isolating. You didn't interact with anybody. If anybody wants to know what running an online store is like, Picture sitting in a room and surrounded, you're surrounded by a bunch of products and cardboard boxes and packing material. Oh, and shipping labels and tape. And that's all you do all day is you just pack items and you print shipping labels and you tape the boxes and you make sure everything's secure and then you stick the label on it. Then you go to the post office. The only people you're going to interact with is the postal workers, most of which do not want to talk to you or engage with you. <laughs> so it is a, a very isolating, boring, shitty job. Um, sounds and like, like a nightmare. Man. I hated it. I just, it was just so tedious. It was just like, it got to the point where like, I got jaded about it. And like, I just didn't, like, I didn't like, it made me not like, like I started resenting my stock almost, you know, it was like, if I didn't have so much of you goddamn video games, I wouldn't have to, you know, I wouldn't have to sell all this. Like I, it made me, I didn't like it. It just, it put me in such a bad mood. Um, it was so te- the other tedious thing is you got to take pictures of everything. And like, you can't just take one picture and go, okay, here's a super Nintendo game. And here's the front. Here's what it looks like. No, no. You got to take the front, the top, the back underneath and show the board to make sure it's clean. Like even when you're selling stuff on eBay, they, they want like, you just, the crystal clear photos of every conceivable angle of items, you know, for, for condition, like collectors to sell the collector stuff. Sure. So it was, it was, I really didn't like it. And then what ended up happening was I was really resenting uh, being a landlord and I didn't like doing the online thing. And uh, I had a bit of money saved up and, but not enough to open a store. And, and I ended up pitching uh, my old boss 
uh, actually who I worked for at the drive-in. I pitched him on this idea of um, basically going in with me on a collectible store, like starting at the, which at the time I should, I should pause and say at the time it was not to be a collectible store. I, I'm a big fan of um, Pawn Stars and Hardcore Pawn. If you're familiar with those reality shows. Yeah, very much so. Yeah. Do you, have you ever watched them? I have. Like yeah. Them? Yeah. I, I think that they're pretty fascinating, man. Stuff, the, the stuff that they bring in for sure. I, I just always, I always had this, this, this fun vision in my head of being uh, like this, this, this slick talker who gets in all these cool shit, you know, he gets in all these cool stuff. And I kind of, I'm, I'm like a magnet. The people I draw in all this neat stuff. And it all comes to me. And I just, I thought it was, uh, I just thought it would be a fun thing to do. So I always had this vision in my head of like being a, a pawn shop owner and get, getting into that business. And I actually knew a few people that owned uh, pseudo pawn shops and, uh, you know, did, do, did all the facets of that business, like not just collectibles. So they did like jewelry and watches and, you know, uh, computers, all, all the shit you'd find, musical instruments, everything you find at a standard pawn shop. So when the store, originally was conceived it was conceived as fly by night buy and sell which buy and sell is kind of a generic term for a pawn shop i mean it, buy and sell and pawn shop to me mean the exact same thing it's, it's a place yeah. where yeah it's 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 just kind of one of those things i didn't want to call it a pawn shop because as soon as you say pawn you're kind of on everybody's watch list mm. and, and and really what i mean by that is like you, like local bylaw, uh, the police, uh, you know, you're all of a sudden you're going to be on everybody's watches because everybody's going to assume, oh, hey, that's where the stolen shit's going. Let's put them on our radar. Right. Because that, that's something you have to consider. Right. Oh, absolutely. so I, it was called. Yeah. So, so we called it a buy and sell. And originally I tried to sell everything. So I took a large focus of the store is video games because that's what I had a ton of left. Like I still had my um, all of my video game stock from. Um, selling on eBay, I had all my eBay stock. And actually I got into, like, I used to uh, thrift like crazy. So like, I, I was always uh, reading up on like other things you could flip. You know, I would look for like anything I could sell on my eBay page. So like a little bit of rare toys, like I was always hitting value villages and any kind of thrift shop, uh, Salvation Army and all those places. And this was back when, uh, you know, they didn't charge more than I do for collectibles. You could actually get like they were reasonably priced on all the stuff. So I used to go around and I'm not alone in this. People still do it, even though I don't think there's really any deals to be had at this point anymore. Or it's very hard to get them. Um, And so I had other stuff besides video games, like, you know, just random toys and collectibles and things I I learned about um, rare books. Believe it or not, there's money in books if you get the right ones. So when I opened the store, it was made a large portion of video games and then just hodgepodge stuff. And then I did like a blitz of trying to buy stuff. Like I just was blitzing, looking online for any kind of people selling things I thought would sell in the store, just random stuff. So if you look at the early photos of my store, it's just like, it's like, Oh, okay, here's a wall of video games. And then there's board games. And then there's like, old electronics vintage electronics it's like there's no theme at all it it, it really was a junk shop when i opened it it was a junk shop that just happened to be good at selling video games so by the time you got in my store like i i because you said it was what i've been around now five years 
Yeah. You said you came in about three years ago. So you missed the early two-year awkward teen years, the uh, <laughs> the growth spurt years of Fly By Night, where where we uh, we shed the old uh, pawn shop mentality and we turned it into a collectible store. Because um, what ended up happening was it started off as a, a, you know a buy and sell. I sell a bit of everything. I tried buying everything. Like I tried my I I I, I even tried like. I bought a little bit of jewelry and I bought some watches and all that shit. And I, I, I found that after the first year, I loved selling the collectible stuff like toys, action figures, board games, um, video, of course, video games. And I hated selling the pawn shop shit, which was like the, the jewelry, the electronics, like TVs, watches, all the pawn shoppy shit. Uh, power tools, which I never really got into power tools and musical instruments much, but um, like vintage electronics, that shit just, I did, it didn't interest me at all. And I didn't, I really didn't enjoy interacting with that clientele that it drew in. And that's not to say anything negative of people that go to pawn shops, but I think there's also something to be said about the people that go to pawn shops. Well, I mean, it stands to reason that if somebody's going to a pawn shop, they're they're in, probably in a bit of a bind, right? So you're probably not yep. meeting them at their their peak, or you know, they probably don't want to be in there selling this stuff. Well, that's and and that's the other thing is like I I found um, the 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 people that would sell me the pawn shop shit were like depressing sob story, like you just didn't want to, or they were just the most shady characters that you just don't even want to be around because you feel like you're clutching your wallet as you're talking to this guy. Uh, and so the crowds that it drew in, I hated, and I hated interacting with them. Um, and I just, so I, I resented that part of the business. So what I started doing, and I, I talked to my business partner at the time now, at, um, and I, I basically told him, because he, he had no, he wasn't, he's not into this stuff at all like into collectibles. He's old school. He's much older than I am. This is an older gentleman. Um, I wouldn't, I won't say his age cause he'll probably, uh, kill it. I'll somehow find out I gave it away and get upset about it, but much older than me, maybe even more than double my age, much oh. older. Yes. So he's completely out of touch. Like he doesn't, video games weren't a thing when he was a kid. Um, toys were not the collectibles they've become now. So he never understood this part of the business at all. He understood like vintage electronics and the other stuff. The other That was what interested him. And I basically told him, look, I, I don't want to do this. I, I, I want to transition the store into a collectible store because this was always my vision. I don't enjoy being a pawn shop, buy and sell a junk shop. I want to phase all that shit out. And uh, that, that's when we amicably uh, decided that his role in the store was basically done as an active person. And he became more of an angel investor at that time. And then it became just completely my baby. And then over, so I would say year two into year three, I slowly phased all that shit out. You saw less and less of vintage TVs and radios and more and more horror figures and Funko Pops. And that was like kind of the new wave. I did a little bit of trial and error. I kind of dipped my toes in all the different markets. Um, and ultimately I ended up deciding on the three things I kept were the three things that I collected myself and I still collect. And they were the, the, the things I enjoyed selling the most. And they were movies, video games, and toys. So it's a long story, 
to get you to your answer of how I decided on what to sell in the store. Dude, that that's amazing. I mean, the, it's it's a ground floor, like you literally as a young man working your way through and building towards something that you ultimately wanted to open that that is pretty much the the business entrepreneurial success story that that I look for when I talk to people and you know it's so that's an that's an amazing journey so far so yeah I just missed the awkward teenage years uh when I walked into the and shop I'm glad but, you did I'm glad yeah. you did <laughs> I kind of wish that I would have seen just like a snippet of it because when I when I first walked in what I was blown away by the most was your your vast movie collection because I you know I'm a little bit older than you I think and I did grow up in that era of like suspect video downtown and um you know just just the regular video stores like the blockbusters but even before then like the video 99s and all that yeah. video king I yeah, don't know video if you remember king, that franchise. absolutely video absolutely. king yeah I remember, yep. remember all these things yeah yeah so I mean like when I walked in and I saw all these these movies that was one of the first things that you had said to me you're like oh if you're looking for movies like I've got all sorts of titles now we've transitioned so much into you know streaming and all this type of stuff that I don't necessarily buy as much anymore but now I'm looking at you know trying to get you know exclusive horror movies like one of the ones I'm dying to ask you if you have is the Japanese movie house Oh God! Uh, I know exactly. You're talking about the really messed up one. <laughs> the really messed up the, one. The, yeah. the LSD trip one. Yeah, That's I think the one. Uh, I I don't have it. Unfortunately, okay. I think it was put out by Criterion. It's it's that's a boutique label one for sure. Okay. Um, possibly something I can order in. Possibly. We're, we're gonna have to look at that because I've been trying to get my hands on it and I just can't. And I, I I've read about it and I want to watch the movie because it just looks like a trip and a half. Um, yeah, that, but, that that's the kind of shit that does not get traded in on the regular. That's the uh, stuff that I, I there's a reason I order in some new movies that those are the kind of titles I got to order in because ain't nobody trading in the Japanese house. They, they would be trading in the Hugh Laurie house TV show. That would be the house that would come through the door or the other house movie. Do you remember the, the other the North American? Oh, house yeah. Movie? Actually, yeah. Yeah, that one. Yeah, actually, even that's hard to get. Yeah, the really? uh, has the great tagline. Uh, Ding dong, you're dead. Ding dong, you're dead, dude. I went and saw that in the theater. I went and saw that at the theater that was at Fixin and the 401 um, when okay. it was when it was a theater back way back in the day. And that was I saw that there and I was terrified no reason to be terrified of that movie it's the it's the stupidest movie it's just it's a horror it's comedy. kind of campy oh yeah, very it's more, campy. more of a comedy actually yeah absolutely, like horror absolutely. Comedy. yeah but uh so now with the movies you're, you're focusing in on that you're focusing in on the toys and you're focusing in on on the games uh, is there a big uh, market right now for the movies still uh, no truthfully okay. no I, I i think uh home video is all but in its last dying breaths and you're talking this and like this is coming from somebody who is all about physical media and preservation and and i'm not anti-streaming but streaming has just made it so convenient to watch things now that the average person is not buying physical copies of anything anymore so the only customers i would say you that are left for for um the whole like for videos for actually physically physically buying them and what i mean by that is like dvd blu-ray 4k is guys like us that want a physical copy on their collection wall something to put on the shelf that i because i don't trust the the streaming sites to keep those movies that i like on there for long and there's other problems with it too like any collector knows there's streaming is not a, a perfect solution 
And then the other people that are buying home video are people that just want certain movies that are hard to find. So like you mentioned house, that would be a good example. Things like that, where it's like, you may never find this on a streaming site. That may never come on Netflix or Amazon prime video. So physical copy might be your only way to actually watch that movie. And then that's about it. Um, the, I mean, the other clientele I have for movies or you do get the Luddites uh, that just what is Netflix? You know, oh, I don't trust that online stuff that, that you know, they, and they buy a lot of my DVDs. Um, that, they keep they keep the DVDs. Um, it, it's still a viable thing in the store, which is great. But the, the, it's not a big market like in in all of Durham. So not just Oshawa, let's say Durham. I would say there's three people three stores that set, that do movies right. And that one is me. And the other two are the two deja vu disc locations, the oh one in Oshawa God. and the one in Ajax. Oh, wow. And that's it. So that's it. Like nobody else really does like movies. I mean, you can buy that stuff at Best Buy and Walmart, but I mean, it's a shit selection. It's mainly the new releases. Um, you're not going to find deep catalog stuff. It's not organized well. It's just chaos. And they're small sections. You know, they've shrunk those sections big time. And then your other option is like, okay, yeah, you can go to the pawn shops, but same problem. It's going to be shit selection. It's all going to be common titles. They're all going to be filthy and they're all going to be mixed up. So the only stores really doing home video, like where you could actually browse it and find what you're looking for is, and, and also curate the rare stuff, stuff like, you know, Japanese house and 1980s horror movie version of house is going to be me or deja vu disc. And that's about it. And truthfully, if I wasn't it's like, it's the least profitable part of the store. If I wasn't a huge movie guy myself, I wouldn't have this. If I didn't secretly have fantasies of owning my own video store when I was in high school, I wouldn't have this. I, I, I this is the only, this, this is, this is the only viable way to do a video store at this point is, is to make it a specific curated section of a collectible store. Yeah. Piggybacking off of other products. Then I, then I have to ask yeah. you. So like yeah. with us growing up in that, in that era, um, how do you feel about the streaming services? Because the streaming services, you know, video, video killed the radio star, man. Like the streaming services have obliterated the the blu-ray market dvd market and and people the thing that frustrates me just to go off on a, a bit of a tangent is that just like music being streamed which I, i'm not against i mean hey listen i have all the streaming services that i i need but it's so accessible that it doesn't register in your mind anymore like i listen to a band on spotify and I'd be like man that's a good band and then there's 15 other bands that come up immediately afterwards i'm not invested in that anymore and I find the streaming services are the same. It's just, you know, I'm on Shutter and I'm looking at things. I'm like, there's a movie, there's a movie, there's a movie. And I watched three or four of them. And it's like, I didn't really invest any time or energy in this. I didn't go to your store. I didn't cultivate the, the Blu-ray. I didn't sit there with it in my hand and look at the cover of it and read the back of it and stuff like that. How are you, how do you feel about the streaming services killing something that's so passionate to you? I mean, okay, so... You, you, you'd think somebody like me that's a purist and I'm like, I want physical of everything. Anything I, I like, it's got to be, I got to have to get a physical copy of it, whether that's a comic book or a movie or a video game. Like I want a physical, I want something to go on my shelf. I have subscriptions to every streaming service. I have a Netflix 
account. I've had a Netflix account back from when they were DVD shipping service. I'm that like far oh, back. Wow. Remember Netflix? Yeah, oh yeah. I'm like OG I read Netflix. about that. Wow. Yeah, I I used to get the subscription. I actually had I had Netflix and I had the knockoff Netflix, the Canadian bullshit one. It was like Zip. I don't I don't even remember what it was. And they'd mail you a, a, a DVD. And I, I used to have a whole system where what I used to do is because they wouldn't send you a new DVD until you confirmed you sent the old one. So you didn't want to hold on to the movie. You wanted to get as many. And it also took like three, four days in the post. And I lived out in the country. That's part of the reason I had this service is the internet. There was no high speed out in the country where I lived. So I was just doing the, the subscription service. So what I used to do is I get that DVD, immediately copy it to my computer and then immediately throw that same day right into the mail. So they'd ship me a new one like right away. I tried to like speed the process up, but I have a Netflix account. Um, I have uh, Amazon prime video. I have a uh, shutter, which you just mentioned, which is basically for lack of a better uh, description, the horror version of Netflix. Um, I also have crave, which is like pseudo Canadian HBO max, but not as good. Um, but they have other stuff. Uh, and I also have, arrow arrow has a streaming service now arrow the boutique blu-ray label i don't know if you know that oh, company okay i've 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 seen it on the blu-ray but i actually didn't know that they had a service yeah look because everybody and their mother has a streaming service right now i mean like everybody's got one but arrow um actually has pretty good selection it's very cheap too it's like five four or five bucks a month like it's so nominal and you can find weird stuff on there, you know, like Japanese Yakuza movies that you just are hard to get, you know, that you're not going to find cool. any other streaming services. So my, my way of looking at streaming is it's a tool, but it's not a perfect solution. It, it might be a perfect solution for some people, but those people that it's a perfect solution for were never going to be part of this collecting community in the first place. Like they're just kind of want, they want the easy solution. They don't care how, how they're going to watch it. Guys like yourself and me that want to watch obscure titles, cult films, we're still going to have to look for physical copies of certain movies to be able to watch them. Things like House. Like, I'm probably going to have to order that in for you. I don't know when that would appear on a streaming service. And then there's the other part of it, which is streaming asks a very simple question, which is, do you need to own this physically? Or are you cool with just logging in and it appears on your computer? Because I'm not cool with the latter. I need, I, I need the former. I need to own it physically because I don't trust you to give, to give me access to that forever. And we've seen, and that was one of the biggest things in Netflix. I remember when the, that big controversy, this was like four or five years ago when Netflix did the first big batch of removing old movies. And people were like, whoa, whoa, whoa what, what? You mean The Godfather's not on here forever? It was only two years. Like, what is that? And then all of a sudden sites started cropping up that go like new to Netflix and leaving Netflix. That's a thing now, right? I mean, there's sites every month that will update you and go, here's the titles that are leaving Netflix Canada. So nothing is permanent on those sites. It's, mm -hmm. it's always fluctuating. So you might love the, the one that really pissed me off. I actually have a story of one title they removed, The Twilight Zone, the original series. I was watching it. And I, at the time, I didn't own them physically because I'm, I have to really watch something before I, I put it in my collection. Like I'm very picky about what actually makes it onto the wall. And I was going through that original show and they removed it. And I got like, I was done season one. 
And I was so pissed. I remember being so, so fucking angry. They took off the original Twilight Zone. I was like, you bastards. You didn't even let me finish it. And there was, I felt like there was just no warning. It was gone. So the streaming sites are not a, a perfect solution, but they're an okay tool. I, I use them as a tester to try to test movies that I don't want to either A, pay for a full price ticket price, um, or B, just on a whim, buy the movie physically so i use them as like a, okay this is a convenient way i can watch the new titles because also i find a lot of the new movies are shit and most of like i think a year we maybe get two films that are worth actually owning and the rest are just kind of eh, you know so i use them i use the streaming sites as a way to to watch movies first and then vet it uh to then buy it physically and it's just kind of a convenient way of doing that but uh, it's not a perfect solution so like, like even, sorry, I'm going on a whole tangent here, but That's like okay. even, even as a convenience thing, they're limited a few times now. And I bet people have done this recently. I've wanted to watch a movie. I look, oh, I forgot to mention, I also have Disney plus. So there's another streaming service. I'm, I newly I mean, bought listen, that. You can't get around Disney. Like I, we were on there the other day and we were just astonished at the titles that they're releasing the new content and also the, the product, the titles that they own now. It's ridiculous. So I, 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 what sold me actually wasn't the Marvel shit. It was mm. the deep catalog stuff. Cause yeah. you, they have, they put all their deep catalog stuff, like all the old Buena Vista releases from like the eighties, uh, all the old Fox releases on there. So it, it, anyways, Disney plus great. Sure. Whatever. Every, <laughs> we don't, we don't need to support the, the it. Machine. We don't need to sell it more. They already and, know. And, yeah. It sells itself. <laughs> yeah. But I have Disney plus and I wanted to watch, aliens one of my favorite sci-fi horror movies of all time and i have the physical collector edition anniversary special james cameron approved whatever release sitting there not five feet from me on the shelf and i went i I, you know i want to watch this i'll just pop it on on disney plus whatever right and i'm about 10 minutes in and i go something's wrong i'm like a this doesn't look look as crisp as I thought it was going to look, it should, I thought it should look a bit better. And I have like, I'm in, I'm in the core of Oshawa. I have the top of the line Rogers high speed, like fastest one you package you can get. So it wasn't, it's not my internet. It's the quality of the stream of what they're offering. And I'm like, this doesn't look as good. And then I noticed there was a scene missing. I went, wait a minute. Where's the scene where the people in the colony, the parents with Newt's parents, basically the scene that introduces Newt's family. Where is that scene? Oh, this is the theatrical cut, not the extended cut. Guess what? There is no extended cut on Disney Plus at the moment. It's only the theatrical version. I don't want to watch the theatrical version. I want the extend. I want this extended director's cut. That's the shit I want to watch. I'm sorry. I'm. A, it's one of my favorite movies. Yes, I want the extra 20 minutes of content, and it's good in that movie. So you couldn't watch the extended version. So I go and grab my Blu-ray, pop it in. The picture is outstanding. It looks 10 times better than the stream I was watching, and it's the version I wanted to watch. We're talking about flaws of streaming. I don't know if you're a special features guy. Like, do you do commentary tracks or any of that stuff? Definitely. Yeah. None of that shit's on streaming sites that I have seen yet. That's one thing that they're not talking about right now is like, okay, Terminator's up on, on there. Why are you not, why are you not giving me the option to go director's cut and version and and the theatrical, you should be giving me both like Blade Runner. Well, every version should be on there. Mm -hmm. You go uh, theatrical 
the director's cut, the final cut, it should all be on there. And then you should go even one step further and you should be able to collect special features. Like streaming, if you're going to go the next, like the next evolution of streaming, you got to have all the options of, uh, of what a home video release has. Like, you know, that second disc of special features, I'm not seeing anywhere on, on, on uh, streaming yet. That's a really good point. You know, I, I have, I've been out of it for such a long time when it comes to Blu-rays and DVDs uh, that, you know, I don't even really consider the special features as much anymore. But one of the things that I used to really love was like the making of the behind the scenes stuff. And you can't get any of that either. But so you're actually making a good case for both. I love the fact that you use the streaming streaming services as like a bit of a precursor as to what you want to invest your time and money into. And, and then, but the thing is, is that the people out there, like the younger generation have to know that these things are even an option. Like you ask yeah. like a, a 12 year old or a 14 year old, Hey, hey you, do you watch the special edition special features on, uh, on the Blu-ray? And they're going to look at you like you have three heads. Yeah, I know. And, and what's scary is there's a whole generation being raised with that. Like Disney plus is the only thing. And what scares me about that is the, the, the newer generation is going to go, their version of aliens is whatever version that Disney allows them to watch. And it where it gets really like tinfoil hat and woo woo is what if they start editing shit and they have, like, did yes, you hear I about thought... this shit with flash where they didn't show no. the girl's ass, whatever her name it was the, the Tom Hanks, the cheesy, yep. whatever that comic oh, I know movie this, is. I know splash. Yeah. So they edit, there's a scene where you see a bit of the, some random girl's ass and they CGI'd and extended her hair just for uh, this like five second shot so you don't see the girl's butt. And it's like, see. so you're editing movies? And I mean, it's like, okay, sure. Like, does that add? Do you need to see the girl's ass? Does that make the film? No. But what if they do other shit like, oh, I don't know, like what Netflix did with Yvonne Galleon and remove music tracks, like audio tracks that were integral to the original work because they don't want to pay for the licensing on like pop culture tracks. So then you're actually editing the original version of things. So I know that that's where it's like really weird because yeah, there's going to be a generation that doesn't know like, Hey, did you know there's a version of Terminator where there's a scene where they take the chip out of the Terminator's head and you actually get to see it. And they use Linda Hamilton's uh, actual twin in the scene like people, the kids would have no idea. They're like, oh, that exists. Did you make that up? So, yeah, I know. I, I agree, though, because like the, the thing and tinfoil hat or not, this stuff does happen. If you don't have a physical copy of these things, you're not going to be able to refer to them. I think that they were turning no. around with the idea with E.T. of removing the gun scene where they go to remove. No, no, they did that. Oh, they, no, no, did, they did that shit. Yeah, they did it. See? But then I believe they they undid it, though, like because I it was. I think I believe Spielberg had some thing where he regretted it and he changed it. He kind of did like a Lucas thing where he's like, I got to, you know, make it less violent. So they changed it to walkie talkies. Their guns were turned into walkie talkies. Right. But then I believe the fan outcry was so bad. They were, they went back on it. I don't quote me on this, but I know no, that they, no. I believe they did it and then undid it is the story that I, I think is what actually happened. But I mean, that's the thing, right? Like you, you, they can do whatever they want with the with the films if there's no way of kind of confirming these different things. Like we were watching, yeah, we were watching a version of um, of uh, Demolition Man, one of my favorite movies. I love that movie. I don't know why, just love it. Sure. Good old fashioned, you know, action movie. Three shells, and, man. The three shells. Three shells, right? And I don't know if you remember the restaurant that survived the the fast food wars. In uh, the movie. Taco Bell. Exactly. So we're sitting there watching it and. 
doesn't the words that come out of uh, out of Stallone's mouth, Pizza Hut? And I, I looked at my girlfriend. What? what do you? It's Taco Bell. And like maybe maybe this is just wrong. Maybe somebody just screwed up. Sure enough, that whole scene they mention Pizza Hut, Pizza Hut, Pizza Hut. Now I looked into it because I was like, "What the hell is this?" Like I thought that it was the conspiracy theory aspects of what we were doing here and what we're talking about. Apparently, with the American releases, they used Pizza Hut, and with the broad re- or was it the sorry the foreign release they used Pizza Hut, Pizza and for Hut. the American it was the Taco Bell because oh. at the time the brand wasn't as popular. Yeah. Globally, different right? markets okay different market. yeah. so i mean they can adjust whatever they want and that is kind of but it kind of, but see, you're nostalgic though for the taco bell and yeah. like i've seen people with that shirt because they had that funky future logo for taco That's bell Do you remember right. it was like yeah. the shapes so like i've seen people have those shirts so yeah. like it it does kind of it ruins it a little bit for you you know it, sure it, so I, it even though it sounds like a small change it's like no it's not you remember it a certain way yeah you can't you can't go undoing things. So yeah. you've got okay. So let's get back to the shot for a second. So you've got your movies. Yes, uh, you love them, and and they're being supported by the rest of the business, which which I think is yeah. phenomenal. That's that's fantastic. But then let's talk about the rest of the business. Um, sure, collectible world. The real money. Me, the real money. Yeah, like the collectible world to me is so fascinating because it's changed so much since we were kids, right? Uh, you you had touched upon going to value village and finding a toy there and it being worth a lot. Uh, The market now is actually created for collectors, right? So you've got these, it's, it's, it's so strange to me because there's very few opportunities. It seems for an actual toy or collectible to organically catch steam and actually just blow up on its own. So how have you seen the transition from like, what is hot? What is not? Is it all orchestrated? This is some tinfoil hat stuff here, but uh, I will be honest from what I've seen. Every industry, I'm going to say every, including the shit I don't sell. So I sell movies, games, and toys. What I don't sell is cards, comics, and I don't know, other sports. That's the other big ones. Comics, cards, and sports memorabilia. Every industry now has reorchestrated, has reconfigured itself to pump out limited merchandise and artificially make everything a collectible now. We are living in the grimiest times of collectibles. No industry is innocent. If you collect comics, do not think you are. Your industry is, it's so innocent. Please look at the next issue of any new release. You'll see 20 variant issues where there used to be two. So like everything is, cards is awful right now we're, we're getting packs that are restricted artificially for no reason why to, to make the demand super high uh we get like one of one releases of cards where it's like I, i've heard this through customers again i don't deal in these industries but i talk to other collectors that collect other things than i sell and they're they've, they're doing shit now where it's like there will be one version of a lebron james and some new release of basketball cards one like one out of so then if whoever gets that, it's like a million dollar car, like stupid shit like that, where everything is li- has limited editions and there's variants of everything and everything has a collector edition of everything. Now, on the one hand, it's great because all the toys, anything you like, you can get merchandise of. You like Ghostbusters, 
there's 10 million different companies selling Ghostbusters things right now. You like Jurassic Park? You can get figures now that look like the old crappy 90s uh, toys from Jurassic Park. So anything you can think of, you can get merch. Fucking uh, Funko Pops, they have them for anything. Anything you can think of. Like Funko has dominated this space. Funko, I, I am going to pick your brain like, on them. Oh, of course. I knew it was, this was the elephant in the room, which is Funko Pops. Um, but Funko makes a pop of any kind of product you could like any uh, character any like pol- you got politicians sports players musicians anything you can think of so we live in an era where everything has merchandise but it's so grimy in that everything it's it almost feels like it's made by an algorithm mm-hmm. and they prey so hard on our nostalgia and also our psychological fears and desires and what i mean by that is like the fear of being left out and missing products so it's like oh no this new amber collection of jurassic park figures is limited so i gotta rush out to walmart or toys r us and i gotta go grab it immediately because it's gonna sell out immediately because and if it sells out then there's gonna be scalpers and they're gonna want 10 times the price on ebay so it preys on that fear if they put that word limited or collectors or they just artificially restrict products. And I mean, they do this. I mean, when I say they, I mean all, all of the collectible companies that I mentioned, every, they all do it. Um, video games, toys, even the Blu-ray, like even the, the movie market, it's, it's smaller. But I mean, the boutique, the boutique Blu-rays, there's scalpers that, that buy up that shit. There's like, it's everyone has its own version, but they're all doing the same shit, which is they're selling specifically targeted towards a collector market. And they're almost artificially, like you use the word organic, like where things would become organically collectible. Like I, the one that I always love to, to think of is um, Pokemon cards. I remember like I, that was my generation. I'm a 90s kid. I was born in 1990. So I, I'm 90s, like 80s. I appreciate I love the 80s. I the best day. That's the best day I could to film without a doubt. I wouldn't even try to defend the 90s. We yeah, had yeah. a lot of shit. We had some good stuff, but we had a lot of shit. That's when it started to go. Um, but the, uh, the, the, nineties, uh, toys, um, I remember, uh, Pokemon that was the nineties, like my generation made anime a thing in North America. And uh, a lot of it um, started with Pokemon. I remember the Pokemon cards. I remember they were hot. And then I remember they were not. And anybody that goes, man, Pokemon's always been hot is full of shit. That's not true. That's, that's a crock of shit. No, they got cold i remember people dumping them i could you man if i had money back in high school i could have bought so many goddamn pokemon cards tons i could have bought oodles of them for nothing cards that are now worth hundreds thousands of dollars so no that was an organic thing that um and that became hot later on because of nostalgia and other varying factors um because trading cards kind of blew up in the next next little bit I should actually, I guess I should reference things that I sell might be, might connect more. But the thing is I talk to other collectors and I've got friends that collect in all these different markets. Right. So I just, I happen to know all this, this stuff of of the current um, state of things. Um, But we like, that's an example where it, it grew organically, but now you look at Pokemon cards and they'll, they'll print sets that are reissues of the original set. And they recently did this. And why do you think they did this? Because of nostalgia. They're, gonna, they're preying on nostalgia. They know 
it's like a built-in audience. It's like remaking an old movie. It's the same fucking thing. So they they they're preying on that. They like I would probably say the worst offender is Ninja Turtles. You want to talk about preying on nostalgia oh, of their fan base? The 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 amount of shit that's being peddled right now for that goddamn brand. And I like Ninja Turtles. It was around in the 90s. I mean, it was more of an 80s property in my opinion, but I watched it. I don't have the I nostalgia that these guys do. Yeah, Ninja Turtles great. It's cool. But that's a dirty brand now, in my opinion, because like it's like there's nothing innocent or pure about it anymore. It's just all like, where, did you ever watch, you like Rick and Morty. Remember the episode where the nostalgia bar, where they, yes. they, they, they take the memory of Simple Rick. Simple Rick, and, yeah. And they take the memory and put it in that bar. And so when you bite into the bar, you get that hit of dopamine and nostalgia. That's all the shit that these companies are, are selling is. right now. Yeah, it's what it is. And part of me, like, it, it's it, it's a love-hate thing. Like, I don't want to be hypocritical because I own a lot of this shit. Like, I I'm a, I collect NECA. Like, I, I like, I collect stuff, Um, you know, a lot of the stuff they're peddling. So on the one hand, it's great because we get all this shit. But on the other hand, it's, it is a dirty industry right now. And everything is artificially turned collectible and turned rare. Um, And it, it's like the, the, the way I look at it is the window for how long it would take for things to become naturally an organic collectible has been shrunken so much. No. So now that like things are instantly collectible, instantly scalpable, instantly worth like five times the price of what they retail for. It's just, uh, yeah, that, I think that's the current state of things. That's ridiculous. When you think about it, what, what would be the last instance that you can think of? of a product that you carry that all of a sudden blew up that you weren't expecting at all. Oh, you, could, I mean, every product I carry in here does that. Like literally Blu-rays will go out of print. And then like from the boutique labels, I carry like Screen Factory and Arrow and they're suddenly worth triple the price. Um, the, the slip covers, the slip covers, which is that little cardboard sleeve that goes on Blu-rays. People will pay more than the price of the movie to get the fancy slipcover package for their Blu-ray collection. So wow. um, Funko Pop, of course, the biggest example. Pops can instantly go from $15 to 150 within a short window of time. NECA, basically anything that goes out of print um, can instantly go up in value. Like the only thing, I mean, I'm in the collectibles market, so the prices fluctuate. So these prices can jack up at any time. Like example, uh, pandemic hits. Everybody's stuck at home, bored out of their minds. What do they turn to? They turn to movies and they turn to video games. Suddenly the video game industry, which was already hot, the retro games industry was already hot, goes exponentially bigger. Pokemon games that I was selling for 25 bucks jumped to 75, $100, $150. There's seemingly no ceiling because we're still kind of in that weird woo-woo possibly a you know a fourth lockdown we're still in a weird time and uh the, the game market like the game the retro game price is just ex exponentially exploded so it can happen with any of these at any time but like in terms of which one of these companies you know really preys on that and pedals towards it i mean they're all guilty of it i don't think i can't think of one more than the others but uh yeah at any time these can be like can explode in value and go up uh, i mean i mean that's just the roller coaster ride of being in the collectibles market though.
That's uh, it, it's fascinating to me because I actually thought, and, and before I stumbled into you, uh, I had kind of halted on on my collecting. I had come off like a a whirlwind of a bunch of years of collecting bobbleheads, and I kind of parked that. And I was actually kind of getting rid of my collection. And then I and then I found you, and I thought to myself, "Holy shit! There's actually a collectible store still alive." Like I didn't think that they were still there was still a business for it, but you're telling me that there is. But we have to talk about the elephant in the room. What the fuck is with Funko Pops? Okay, first <laughs> of all, you have, like you said, okay, so this is this is actually, it, it's, it's counterintuitive to the collectibles market, in my opinion, because they make literally everything. There's a, every figure yeah. out there for everything. So they're flooding the market with their product, which is, is fine. How the hell have they survived for this long? And is it is it going to bust at some point in time? Like, is it just going to blow up and go away? Because it feels like it's been here forever, man. Okay, so Funko, the company, has been around for a while. Um, they started off as a novelty shop uh, selling random shit on, like, I think it was the Paramount lot. I watched the documentary on it. It was very fascinating. Then they got into, like, bobbleheads, and they were one of the big bobblehead companies, like, in the late 90s, early 2000s. You, you might have even owned a few of their products. Maybe a couple. Been it. Oh, yeah. Um, and then... I don't know exactly what the, like how they came, like thought of this exact product of the Funko pop, like the pop vinyl line itself. But the company has really only been, I would say popular since about 2015 is when they blow up their, their products were going in shelves, like in random markets since 2010, but nobody knew what they were going to be. I remember seeing them when they were first coming out. I think everybody has this story now of like, I remember seeing these and I could have bought them for nothing. And now this one's a thousand dollars you have in your shop. Like, but truthfully, I remember so there was like a window of like 2010 to 2015 that you could have picked so many of these up for relatively nothing. You know, their, re their retail costs, not their secondary market cost. But from 2015 to now, they have exploded to such an exponential level. And you're, you're asked about, are they going to crash? Is they going to crash? Are they the next Beanie Baby? I get asked this all the time. I got into Pops. I've been around five years. I got in Pops about, I'm going to say three and a half, maybe four years ago. And I instantly saw the potential. When they first came out and I saw them around 2013, 14, again, even before I had a store, Saw them, I was like, it's a stupid little toy. It's not for me. I got them in the store. I started like I got I started being a distributor, ordering them in wholesale and like selling them new in the store, like carrying them new. And I started buying them used. Instantly saw the potential of, of that uh, and understood immediately. As soon as I got them in the store and had say about 50, I'm like, okay, these are genius. And this this is like they, they basically carved a new category of collectible in, uh, in a way of describing it. I don't think they're going to be the next Beanie Baby for one simple reason. Beanie Babies were not licensed. They were all bullshit, just random animals. That's why no one gives a fuck about whatever your Platy the Platypus is nowadays. No one cares. It's not licensed. No one gives a shit about Lobby the Lobster. You know what I mean? They, 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 people want licensed pop culture things. They want recognizable brands. All Funko makes is recognizable iconic characters they make merchandise for anything you can think of even things that we didn't know we wanted merchandise of they now have merchandise for you know so they're not 
going anywhere there because there's always going to be someone that wants a something. It doesn't matter what it is, a thing of this property, whether that's dark crystal or labyrinth or the Toronto Maple Leafs or rush or Donald fucking Trump. Like there's uh, someone, oh, there's always going to be a, a desire for a product of cer- of something someone connects to some sort of pop culture brand. Uh, and that's what Funko tapped into. And that's why they're genius is they make my job so easy because they don't just hit the geek market. They don't just hit the horror market. They don't just hit the anime market. They don't take a piece of the pie. They take the whole fucking pie. They take every market. So I get every demographic on pops. Like people wonder why I go so hard. Like I remember when I was first, like when it became noticeable in the store where it was like, Hey, half your store is Funko pops. Like what's the deal? Because I love how many fucking different brands and licenses they carry. They have products for everything. So it makes my job so easy because I now can sell to every customer. I can convert every customer coming through the store, except guys like you or me. Like, I don't think you like the Funko Pops, right? You don't collect them no. yourself? No. Okay. So we're the only, we're the exception. We're the only guys that we, we can't really convert us because I don't collect Funko Pops. Surprise. I, I'm, I'm open about it. I don't lie. Um, I don't collect them. And the reason I don't collect them is I don't like cartoony versions of characters. I like hyper-realistic. That's why I collect high-end brands like NECA, um, more McFarlane, um, top of my head. I, I don't know, like SH figure arts and Figma, like high-end Japanese brands. I like D, uh, Marvel select. There you go. DC collectibles. I want the higher end brands. I like realistic looking figures. They're more simple. They're simplified, right? They're also a third the price. Uh, of other like if you were gonna go for an action figure or something that's like the brands i just mentioned right so they're much cheaper so i won't be able to convert us but i can convert everybody else anybody that just walks through that door and goes perfect example do you have anything for my little pony now the odds are very low i'm gonna have any old my little pony but wouldn't you know it i have an entire set of my little pony funko pops right now and they're they're just cute enough and the packaging is just it's it's like perfect packaging on all of them and they display so beautifully that i can convert basically anybody i can get the person looking for my little pony stuff i can get the kid looking for marvel stuff i can get his mom that is nostalgic for my little pony and musicians and i can get the dad that wants sports um players so you get oh and I can get the grandfather who happened to come in and goes, Hey, there's the Jetsons. I remember them. I haven't seen any merchandise for the fucking Jetsons ever. Well, there it is. I got the whole Jetson family sitting right there. So it's a genius. It's just, it's a genius uh, brand and a genius product and they're not going anywhere there. And I'm going to tell you right now from somebody that um, has a, a, a funk, this is not a Funko shop. I sell a lot more, but Funko pops. Yes, you do. I would, yeah, especially my new store because my new store is much bigger than the old one. Mm-hmm. Um, for someone that is one of the biggest pop dealers, I would consider myself one of the biggest pop dealers uh, in Ontario. They're not going anywhere, and I'm getting new Funko customers every week. I get new wow. people into the hobby. It's 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 doing the opposite. If you think it's going down, it's going up. It's getting more and more. And I hear you say they flood. They're flooding the market, but in a sense, they're not. Because they just keep looking because there's always, this is why this company in a sense could almost be eternal. Like they could, they might've just made a new category of 
collectible because there's always a new property coming out. Like perfect yeah. example, the Disney plus shows we have. So now we have the one division. So even though they already had a Scarlet Witch, we didn't have the Scarlet Witch from one division. We didn't have vision in his fifties black and white outfit. We didn't have uh, Falcon and Bucky from Falcon and the winter soldier. Like there's always a new property coming out. So there's always going to be a new thing they can make. And then there's always, always some old obscure TV show or movie or whatever that they didn't think of yet. It, it, and there's ones that would surprise you. It's like, oh, they just came out with um, a um, Happy Days set, you know? Yeah, when you were saying like older generation, I was thinking of old shows like Dynasty and, and Knott's Landing yeah. like way back oh, in the day. Hey, They'll you just named a good one right there. Dynasty, they haven't done a Dynasty set. And Dallas, I just thought of another one. They didn't do Dallas yet. And don't you kid go. yourself, that shit's coming. It's, that shit's it's coming. coming. You, know, that's a, you know, that's a really good perspective to look at it because what you're saying is they've tapped into the past, present, and the future in every genre yeah. that you can possibly come up with. But the question is, how the hell did they manage to get the license to produce from every single area? Because licensing, from what I remember, is is a really finicky oh, little... Yeah, it's expensive. So yeah. how the hell did they how did they pull this one off? Because that seems like the coup of the century when it comes to collectibles. I, I never, like I collected bobbleheads. I didn't see this much variety with bobbleheads. Like this this variety is insane. How the hell did they do that? I, I would definitely watch the uh, I think it's on Netflix, uh, Making Fun. Okay. The documentary was all about the, the creation of Funko, and the the core concept of the company was the guy the founder he had this idea of let's make products for things that don't have products so one of the big things he started off was the the big boy from like big boys which is a huge burger chain in the states not so big mm -hmm. here in canada and there was like no merchandise and then he started doing like um the ad icons so like tony the tiger and th things that didn't have merchandise he made merchandise on so he wouldn't have paid a lot for those licensing rights because they weren't no one was making figures of them so mm -hmm. like you know if you approached the company it was like hey we want to make a figure of your of fucking Ronald McDonald, you know, there they'd be like, up oh, sure. Like nobody else is like, okay, sure. It's going to be extra money in our pocket. And then I think he spun that money into going after more licenses. And what's genius about Funko is people like you and I, we complain about the simplicity of the product, but that's inherent in how they're profitable. They make a very simple product that costs nothing to make that they can mass produce so the cost of that product is the license. I bet you that figure, like Funko Pops probably cost 50 cents, but they probably cost like 10 bucks to, to actually get that license like per piece. Wow. Like wow. that. So it, it is genius in that sense that you're asking how they got all these licenses. That's how they made a simple product. And their mandate was we got to go after every license. And that's it. Well, I mean, I'm, I'm not going to start collecting them because I'm still in the same boat as, as <laughs> yeah, you, me neither, and, and, me neither. but, but I have a new respect for the way that you, the way that you frame that I do have a new respect. I, I always like businesses that are able to, Hey, go out there and make money. I'm not going to begrudge you for making money. And they clearly have found a niche. I'm going to check out that documentary. I didn't even know it existed, but that's it's fascinating. That's, You'll appreciate it. Cause yeah, they started off making bobbleheads. So yeah. 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 Okay. We're going to wrap up in a couple of minutes, but before we do, I want to get into the shop again. And I want to know sure. like, what is, so you're in a new location. You moved just down like a, a block down from where you were before. Yep. 
yeah, beautiful location. Uh, but you've also started to get in and expand uh, your like your merchandising as well. You, you, you've got yeah, yeah your catalog. You're into uh, trick or treat. Uh, you're yep. with the company Trick or Treat, and yep. you know you've got some beautiful figures in behind you, Chucky and and uh, Tiffany, which is and yep. I see Sam down there. Um, you so you so you sell a lot. What uh, what are the things that you're focused on right now? What do you want to, the store to be doing? Say like within the next few years, like where where are you going? Because you're starting to get into some higher end uh, items uh, on top of the Funko stuff. Yeah. So uh, part of when I transitioned the store out of the pawn shop stuff is I had to kind of decide on what I wanted to sell. And I, and I decided movies, video games and toys. But even within that, like just saying that, like movies is kind of obvious. Video games is kind of obvious, but it's like, well, video games, do you want to do new or do you want to do used? Well, there's not enough money on new games. So leave that to EB games. They're they're hurting. They're going to go out a bit like GameStop is in financial trouble. No shit, because there's no you make like five bucks on new games. It's not even worth it. Used games, that's the money. So I just do used games. And then it's like, well, do you want to carry every system or certain systems? I decide every system. Toys, that's a huge thing. So it's like, where do I go with toys? So I went with what I knew. I know pop culture. So Funko Pops came naturally to me because I know all these obscure, weird movies and TV shows. Like I know all these weird references. So I know the characters. So it's very easy for me to like to, to know what you're talking about when you come in and ask for some obscure character from some obscure movie. The stuff that I really collect is horror figures and horror and sci-fi. So I specifically tried to target the horror market. So then I carry, so I carry uh, companies, NECA, Mezco, um, I just start. I launched a deal now. I carry Trick or Treat Studios. Basically, my mandate is if it's horror and it's mass produced and it's available and I can get it, I'm going to have it in the store. Oh, so amazing. any kind of horror merchandise I can get my hands on. So we're talking Diamond Select. Um, we're talking um, like higher end Japanese brands like Artifacts. They might they might only do like a, a Mezco 112. They might only do one or two horror statues a year. I'm going to try to get at the shop. So my mandate is anything horror related, I'm going to go for. Horror was a, um, a, a, a big thing for me because I found it's one of the most ignored niche markets out there. Nobody focuses on horror. So I, I saw a huge gap in the market like EB Games, Toys R Us, any of these places, the so-called collectible shops, they don't have fuck all for horror. There's no horror section. And comic book shops, any of the specialty shops, same thing. They don't got fuck all. They might have Marvel Legends. They might have DC Collect. They might have, because I knew, I experienced this. So as I owned a store at the time, this is like the second year I was in business. I was buying NECA and I couldn't find it fucking anywhere. I'd go around and you, you'd find the odd figure, you know, you'd find like one or two or maybe like one bookshelf in a store. And like, that was a, a big get for the day, but nobody had these brands. So I just thought, Rather than go around and try to find this, I'm just going to make it part of the store. And then I just can shop in my own store. Like oh, rather, I'll just make the shop that I'm looking for. I'm going to make the store that I want to shop in. So I now carry like every horror brand that's out there. Uh, and it's a big focus of the store. Now that I'm in the new location. So part of the reason I moved is uh, I actually ran out of room probably three times, five times over. I mean, I, I don't know if you saw it near the end, but we were we were getting down to the centimeter. I didn't know what was stock, what was like on display because there was just so much of it there. It was just chaos because I just had it. I had that old store so fucking jammed with product like movies and video games. 
take up a good amount of room, but toys, holy shit, do they take up a ton of room. Toys yeah. take up a lot of room. So if you're going to get in this market, you need a big store because with toys, it's like anything else. It's like the games. It's like the, 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 the videos. They want selection. So you need a wall of characters and spot like video games are very, and movies are simple because spines are thin. Comics are also thin. Although they take up a lot of room too, because you need all the back issues. But mm. with toys, there's no thin there. These are big boxes. Like you can see, I mean, these are big, but yeah, they're, they're, they're big boxes. They have a lot of room. So I needed a bigger store to make room for all the merchandise I was getting heavily into, which was the toy market. And I have cultivated, I, I, this one, I feel comfortable saying I have shed my buy and sell pawn shop skin and I am a full on collectible store. Now I think I've, earned a reputation now that uh, is is fairly well known among the collector uh, groups and i have i'm attracting a higher end clientele uh got, basically i'm attracting like myself is now walking through the door guys that want the the higher end figures and the higher end brands that they couldn't find other places like the more specialty figures so horror figures big part of the store but now that i got more room we're not we're going all levels of horror figures like shit i never had room for in the other store the big shit behind me props like with trigger treat studios i'm now carrying full-size gremlins i saw that when i was here. in there the we're other carrying a uh, mat it's there it's great so because now, now i have the room another big part this is a huge part of the, the new store with toys horror anime oh. i'm a i love my anime i'm actually wearing an anime shirt right now i'm wearing a you I get you can't see me you're listening to me i'm wearing a yu yu Hakusho shirt great old school anime doesn't get enough love I always loved anime. I, I watched a ton of it in high school. It was always one of those secret anime geeks that, you know, it's kind of hush-hush. Anime wasn't as mainstream as it is now. We just didn't talk about it. And uh, similar to horror, same problem. You can't find this merchandise. Anime sh shit is hard to find. Like, you find the odd figure at Hot Topic and the odd figure at EB Games, but it's never a good selection. So, and there's a hungry market for this. You know, it's a niche market. But it's a strong market, and the people that are, are uh, that collect it are very passionate about it. So horror and anime for toys are my two big things in the store, uh, other than Funko, which Funko count is everything. So that's but for other like action figures and more statue brands, horror and anime are the two big focuses of the store for sure. I love it because the horror side of me is is just going ape shit right now. Because I mean that's that's where it's at. There there is I hundred percent agree with you. It's always been overlooked. It's been looked down upon. I was never much of an anime guy, but I know that there is a very committed market in the anime side of things, just like horror fans. They're, they're just as fanatical. Uh, so I, I think that's awesome, man. I, I, and I, like I said, we did, I did miss the, the transitioning of the store, but when you walk into that store right now, it's 100% a collectible store. It, yeah. You you have no, it's, it's, there's no mistaking it. The lighting is amazing in there. The displays are amazing in there. The product is, is, is getting even better, which I love. So congratulations, dude. I mean, you're fucking killing it. And, and uh, I mean, I think it's awesome, but I'm also excited to see, you know, how you continue to grow it because it doesn't sound like you're done. I, I'll, I'll be honest. The store is starting to scare me now. <laughs> I, I didn't, I, I had a, I had, when I started out, I had a fun vision in my head of like, I'm going to own a pawn shop and I'm going to be like all the guys on pawn stars and buy cool shit. 
And then I turned into a collectible store, but I didn't have an end game in mind for the collectible store. I didn't see all this shit coming. I didn't see Funko coming. I didn't see that I was going to, it was going to reignite my passion for collecting toys. And suddenly my personal toy collection was going to explode. And I, 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 all of a sudden I'm into a huge horror market and I'm selling props and masks and anime. I'm selling like every now with the anime, I'm doing the same thing as I'm doing the horror. Any anime brand I can get my fucking hands on, I am going to carry in the store. So we're going to be carrying the simple small stuff that's like 20, 30 bucks. And then we're going to carry the high end shit that's like 200, 250, like the statues and and the, the really high end detailed figures. I didn't see any of that shit coming. So it, it, the store is at a point now where I don't know what's coming next. Um, I'm, I'm starting to, I'll be honest, I, it's starting to overwhelm me. Uh, I'm still, a, this is very hard to believe for most people. I am a one-man show. There is only one employee in here in this store, and it is me, and you are talking to him. That's it. This this store is the size of an EB Games. I think I have more than an EB Games now, but it's managed by one person. So that's all facets of the business. That's the ordering, the buying, the 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 selling, the the hand the um handling the pre-orders the cleaning of products, the merchandising of the products, the cleaning the store, the restocking, the yada, yada, yada. It's all me. It's, it's still a one-man show. And I don't know I, I don't know how much longer I can do this. It's yeah. really starting to burn me out. Um, yeah. The volume of the new store is, I, I, on a, I'm at my limits now. If, we, if, we, if the experiment was how long can one person maintain a collectible store by themselves, I think we're getting to the near the end of that result. And it's going to be time, I think, to look into employees and... Um, Possibly even more locations. I'm not against it. I'm honestly not against it. So if you're listening to this and you're in a market and you think, I would love a fly-by-night in my hometown, then you send me a message and and you pitch your town because it's it's on the table. I love that because, listen, when you're talking to somebody as passionate as you, you can't help but get excited about you know, the future of what this is. But bottom line is as a business person, when, when you're talking to somebody who knows what the hell they're talking about and they're really committed to it, that's the business opportunity written all over it. So yeah, I mean, I'm going to continue to spread that word. Like that's, that's outstanding. I'm going to leave it there for now because I think that that was, uh, was, was beautiful. I, I loved the energy that you brought and I love the information that you shared. Uh, Tell people where they can find you. I'm going to include all the links to the website and social media and stuff like that. But where can people find you so that way they can come in and see the shop for themselves? Sure. So I am a brick and mortar store. Collectible shops. This is a big point I I would like to make. Collectible shops are meant to be browsed, people. It is fun to look through all of my, my giant wall of movies and video games and toys. That is fun. You need to go back to that we, we can't just rely on Amazon and these online retailers. So I am a brick and mortar store first, not an online store. Yes, I can do online orders, but it's, it's not full catalog. If you want to experience my store fully, you need to come in and shop it. I'm located downtown Oshawa. The address is 15 Bond Street East. The store name is Fly By Night, N-I-T-E. It's very easy to Google it. Uh, you can find me if you want to look up what kind of products I carry you want to see some pictures inside the store you can find me on instagram it should come up under fly by night or fly by night movies games and toys i don't there's not a lot of fly by night operations out there besides me you can find me on instagram you can find me on facebook and uh yeah that would be the easiest way to connect but ultimately come into the store 
absolutely. Come into the store and browse. I, I'd like to say that the, the point of my store is, or my, the best feature of my store is you're going to come in and you're going to leave with something you didn't know you wanted. Oh, one thing I will add to that is that it's hundred percent true because every time I go in there, I walk out of there with something that I didn't know existed and didn't know that I wanted. So that's amazing. Justin, listen, dude, you've been fucking awesome. Uh, thank you very much being a one man show and all the stuff that you do. And I know how busy you are. So to take the time out of your schedule to sit down with me was outstanding. So thank you very much, my friend. No problem. Thank you. <laughs>